Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Boom. Hey, Sarah, remember that time that we recorded two podcasts because we were out of town and we lost them both? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a sore point for me a little bit. <laughs> um, I don't know why you would feel that way. So so my number two biggest pet peeve is urine on public toilet seats. And my number one biggest pet peeve is anything that costs me time unnecessarily. So traffic jams. Having to, you know, the computer crashing and I didn't save my work for the last 20 minutes. Um, recording podcasts and having no file to show for it. Hey, I mean, but I you love know talking with you. I was going to say, but... we just get to hang out again. I know. I know. I'm like, I'm okay. I was going to say I'm super excited, but it was going to sound like really sarcastic. <laughs> I, have to, I have to rein that one in because I really do enjoy talking with you and as we proved when we re-recorded the resistant starch episode, which I can name now, I don't have to call it the Scottish episode anymore, <laughs> um, since it exists and is out in the interwebs. Um, as we know from that experience, the second time is clearly the charm. Although with the resistant starch episode, it was like the seventh time. We're not yeah, doing this for the seventh let's time. Hope we don't have let's, to do that. We've this. learned we we will evolve and only require two kicks at this can. I'm actually really excited about this topic because it came from um, quite a few questions. We sort of grabbed two representative questions, but um, you know it's really been a while since we've done a show specific to children's health, and I know that we have a lot of. Um, listeners who are parents. And um, I always like when we can tackle some of these topics um, because to me, it's such a, as a parent, there's, it's so much harder to wade through the information on the internet, you know, magazine articles, pediatricians recommendations, and then try and actually implement things at home because you can't just say like, Hey guys, we're going to eat tons of broccoli now. And the kids are all going to go, yay, that's great. Like (laughs) kids don't, right. They don't necessarily cooperate as we're trying to make healthy changes. So it's, it becomes a really complex thing and it's so, so stressful. There's, um, do you, you know, the comedian Louis CK? Of course. I mean, what parent doesn't love Louis CK? Matt's proud of you right now for bringing in whatever (laughs) reference this is. Literally, like, cry tears. I'm laughing so hard every time he has a parenting-related bit. Um, Like, just – and especially when his kids were younger, oh, my gosh. Like, that is still what I think of as being, like, 
the glory years of Louis C.K. Um, but there's one where he's talking about trying to get his toddler to eat and his toddler will not eat anything. And he just just like yells, you're on the grid, expletive deleted. You know, you gotta eat like they know that I have you and I'm responsible for you. And that, to me, sums up so much of the anxiety around parenting and and topics related to children's health, because it's it's got to be those two things. It has to be accurate information, which we will attempt to provide in this episode, but also practical implementation. And it and it's. It can't, it's not one size fits all, right? Like I had one kid who would literally starve to death if I was hard nosed and said, well, that's what you're going to eat. And you're not going to eat anything else until you eat that. Um, and then I have another kid who would have just gotten hungry and would have eaten it. And like, you know, every kid's different, every parent's different. Um, there's so many different factors. So it's, it's also about rather than providing a make sure your kids go to sleep at 6 p.m., right? It It's not about creating those kinds of rigid rules so much as providing a framework and a collection of strategies for living within that framework. So um, some, I'm, we're talking about kids' sleep today. That's what we're talking about. I am so down with what you're talking about. In fact, I'm pretty sure that had I not been muted, you would have been able to hear my children whining as we sent them to bed. <laughs> and by we, I mean Matt, because I'm here. <laughs> uh, my kids go to bed. I mean, their school starts early in the morning. I think this was a private conversation that you and I had or one that was not recorded. But uh, so my kids go to bed, I think probably a half hour to an hour earlier, but they also get up that much earlier because their school starts that much earlier than than your kids school so we have a little bit of a shifted schedule so i'm i'm hoping mine are asleep right now yes actually this was part of the recording that was previously lost because you had mentioned the number of hours of sleep and i was like oh good that makes me feel better because i realized that my kids do get that number of sleep it's just they go to school unusually late they don't have to be to school until nine o'clock uh their school starts that when they're their classes actually start or what their class their class starts at either 905 or 910 i'm not exactly sure but they're walkers and they leave the house at 855 so sometimes cole will sleep in until 830 and i mean he's a boy <laughs> he just like brushes his teeth and walks out the house so um <laughs> I, I have girls there's not much more to it than that actually <laughs> yeah so i mean th- they'll sleep um Cole especially will sleep in uh the younger two boys are still um very much akin to when the sun is up and like mommy <laughs> but Cole's entering that period of preteen teen years that we all remember so fondly as the dark ages because it's when we just slept <laughs> nonstop slept all the time slash yep. winded our parents and rolled her eyes a lot. That, going, you just described Cole's life right there. Uh, so uh, Adele rolled her eyes at me um, at the dinner table a week or – I mean it was about last week one time. She didn't even know she did it. And she literally like rolled her eyes and went oh. – and, and I just like, 
oh my gosh, she just rolled her eyes at me for the first time. And I, and I was, did you see that? Did you see that she rolled her eyes? And she was like, <laughs> what are you guys talking about? She didn't even know that she had done it. And, um, and I was just like, oh, it's just, it's just my warm up. I, I can do it. I can do it. I, I, I'm going to psych myself up for this. This is just my, my, my getting, my getting my feet wet right here. And she, she was like, you guys are crazy, which I guess is a typical preteen reaction. Yeah. Well, um, I find yeah. that that is a much better reaction than the times where he behaves like that. And I just like yell and scream back. That usually never takes us in any sort of productive direction. So, so. here's the thing. I don't always make great choices as a parent. I have times in my life where I can turn things into games or jokes or ask that question back or do the friendly reminder of maybe you want to try that one again. You know, like those types of really, really effective fun, super engaged parenting strategies. And then I have other times where I don't have very much patience and I'm kind of cranky and I don't make as great decisions as a parent and I become Yelly McGill's a lot. And I try very, very hard to minimize those amounts of times. But um, this is the thing about parenthood is um, it is it takes so, so much out of us. And even when we are trying to be the best parents we can, we are never perfect. And um, as we sort of delve into this one specific topic, I sort of think it's important to kind of remind all the parents out there um, that the most important thing is that we're trying. And um, we need to kind of let go of some of that parent guilt that uh, creeps up on us. My mother-in-law has an amazing saying, and it is, you are a success as a parent if your children can afford their own therapy when they grow up. Alrighty then. I know what I was like, like that bar is so attainable. (laughs) Excellent. I'm so on that one. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think too, it's important to consider that everybody is different. We're not medical professionals. Um, but you and your family and your family or dynamic. social workers or right. psychologists or any of those really any kind of credential that would actually allow us to have the conversation we're about to have. Yes. So <laughs> consider that, you know, we speak from experience, not just from ourselves, but from the people who, you know, reach out to us through the blog or whatever the case may be. Um, but you know, you know your kids and your family dynamic the best. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what's ideal and how we would each handle it. But we hope that you take that into consideration in the context of what works for your family, um, because that is really the only way to be a good parent. And uh, Sarah and I are not the only ones who are yelling McYells a lot. I am 100% sure that every time I go out in public, some parent is yelling at some kid somewhere. So um, it's just a matter of figuring out the best ways for you guys to come together as one big happy family. Oh, we need some kind of like sappy music to go with that one. (laughs) Um, So why don't we get into these questions because I think these questions will really uh, sort of direct conversation on kids sleep. (laughs) 
So our first question is from Chrissy. Hello, I am so glad that this forum exists where I can put in this question. Thank you for doing the work that you do and sharing your knowledge. My question concerns my daughter who is eight years old. She has just undergone a sleep study because this summer I noticed she was sleeping 14 hours each night and still feeling tired during the day. Her attention and resilience to stress can vary, but this is like most kids. Her orthodontist and pediatrician have all commented on her large tonsils. We haven't reviewed the sleep study with the doctor yet, but I am concerned if they recommend a tonsillectomy for her. Her oxygen saturation was 92 at the lowest during the night. She does snore, and if it could help her function, have more energy and focus, then I'm all for the surgery. However, I am worried about any repercussion to her thyroid because I have Hashimoto's and thyroid autoimmune and dysfunction run in both my family and my husband's. I am careful about her diet and other exposures because of this, and my next step will be to get her thyroid tested as well. But the pediatrician didn't see this as a potential issue because she is growing fine. My question is if there is any basis for concern regarding the tonsillectomy and its negative effect on her thyroid. If there is, any knowledge you can share might be um, to, that might help guide this decision. Thank you for your consideration for this question. I feel like what I added to this question before we just preempted with. So do you want to jump into a little bit of uh, the science with the tonsils and recommendations? Um, Yeah. So I had a really thorough look through um, PubMed for papers that linked uh, tonsillectomies, tonsillitis, Um, with any kind of thyroid dysfunction. And there is one um, paper written in Italian from the 1960s that has a title that maybe suggests that there might be an increased risk of thyroid disease with um, in tonsillectomy patients. But there's no abstract to read. There is no... um, There's no translation of the paper. The paper is no longer accessible. There is no follow-up studies to it whatsoever. There are no studies that reference it. Um, And, you know, all of that to me, it it sort of implies that it was an observation in a small number of patients that couldn't be repeated. Um, What there is is um, a type of presentation of Graves' disease or hyperthyroidism, so where the thyroid gland is on, um, on sort of overactive, and that's also caused by autoimmune um, pathways, and that it can sometimes present as tonsillitis. So that can be the early symptoms. Um, and, but there's no indication that having tonsillitis would, or or having your tonsils um, removed would increase risk of developing an autoimmune disease. Um, That being said, with autoimmune running um, in Chrissy's family, it does make some sense to do a thyroid panel before doing surgery if you have the time to do that. So um, there are certainly cases where tonsillectomies need to be performed quite quickly because if they're not, that could be life-threatening. So, I mean, if that ends up being the case, then you don't really have a choice. You kind of need to go with the save my kid's life choice and that makes you a good parent right there. Um, My youngest daughter had 
three sleep studies for obstructive sleep apnea um, between the ages of, I think, 13 months and uh, 18, 19 months. Um, And her, she didn't have swollen tonsils. We were looking for other potential causes. Um, And she actually desaturated down to about 70. Um, And it was a very short-lived oxygen desaturation. But um, they weren't... Our um, pediatric pulmonologist, and maybe perhaps because the desaturation only lasted a very short period of time, was not super worried about that. Um, And so we did a whole lot of testing. It turned out to be caused by a slight anatomical anomaly in her throat that put a curl on her epiglottis. And when we combined that with an exaggerated acid reflux reaction from gluten and dairy, because this is as we were becoming paleo as a family or just before, um, and combine that with REM sleep in certain sleep positions, her epiglottis would flop over and block her trachea. And that was, I mean, a year and a half of testing on my toddler. It was pretty awful. Um, so, I mean, I, I hear you on the, the sleep study thing. Um, so, you know, I, I would definitely listen to the doctor's recommendation in terms of how aggressive um, you need to be in terms of, of surgery. Um, the tonsils, the current thought on what function the tonsils have is that they sample the food, basically, that we're eating or anything other, you know, kids put all kinds of things in their mouths to be sampling the dirt that they're eating too, or whatever it is. I mean, I'm assuming an eight-year-old is not no longer eating dirt, but the tonsils basically are a early warning, um, part of an early warning system. So they sample food in order to search for antigens. Um, and it's probably a way of preparing our immune systems for an allergic reaction or an immune reaction to something that we see as being, you know, it's a food antigen, but we see it as being a threat. And there's actually some new indications that as much as 50% of um, tonsillectomy patients, uh, uh, kids who are awaiting a tonsillectomy, their tonsils will shrink back to normal size with a dairy-free diet. Um, I hear that information and I, to me, I think not, oh, 50% of tonsillitis is caused by allergies or food intolerance. I think, I bet that other 50% is just a different food. You know, to me, when I, I put those two pieces of information together and go, okay, so the question is, is there a food trigger? Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to find. It doesn't mean it's going to be as simple as giving up dairy. But that's also definitely something to keep in mind and something to have a conversation with um, the uh, pulmonologist or or whatever the other um, professionals that you're working with are. Um, so I feel like there was one other point that I wanted to make on this question. Do you remember what it might have been, Stace? No, but I think that um, I went on a tangent about um, – making sure that we are following um, the line carefully of both wanting to do what's best naturally for our bodies, i.e. trying to find food allergies um, or, you know, getting the sleep to rest. Because while 
it might seem like a lot of sleep to you. Somebody's body might need more, especially if they're prone to autoimmune diseases. Um, Sarah, I think you've provided science previously on the podcast about people with autoimmune diseases or high stress needing more sleep. So to me, um, those things are all really important. But at the same time, you know, if you or your child has any medical condition that's life-threatening, and I don't know that this is or isn't, um, I just want to make sure that everybody is, is not feeling compelled that they must do these other things before moving forward. Because the last thing we want to do as parents is to put our kids in more danger as we're trying to help them. So, you know, for me, I kind of equate it to gallbladder, which is something that I've had removed and similar to tonsils is quote unquote not necessary, but does actually perform a function. Um, And so I think for me, if I could go back in time, certainly early on in my youth, I would have tried um, some alternative diet and lifestyle techniques to see if I could have avoided getting that removed. But at this point, it is what it is. And I don't know that even when I was in my huge flares with a lot of stones and unable to go to work because I was in so much pain that it would have been the right time to try to solve things naturally. Like some sometimes things progress to a certain point where it's difficult for us to unwind them. And, and that can be the case with our children as well. And I know like Cole had his appendix removed earlier this year. And when we went in at first and they misdiagnosed him and then we went back and they were like, whoa, we need to prep an operating room right now. It's about to burst. And then when he got into the operating room, it had burst. Like there was never a moment in any of that where I was like, you know what, guys, I think I'm going to try some bone broth on this one. Exactly. (laughs) I was like, this is life threatening. Like I'm not even thinking about this has to be done. What I am going to do is as soon as he got out of surgery, you know, we focused on the things that I knew would nourish and heal his body. He didn't eat a lot of hospital food. We did bring in broth. We did help his body in ways to recover. And he did recover incredibly quickly, incredibly well. And he's totally fine. Uh, But I think, you know, there just needs to be context for this sort of stuff. That's all I have to say. Well, I'm glad you said that because it reminded me of what my last point is that I wanted to actually make, um, which is that um, obstructive sleep apnea actually increases risk of developing an autoimmune disease by about 50%. Now, that comes from data in adults, not from kids, but um, doing whatever you can to make sure that your child is actually getting really good quality sleep is really important. I mean, when we look at some of the statistics about how poor sleep or inadequate sleep um, affect our health, it it gets scary fast. And in fact, there's some compelling arguments to say that sleep is actually a a more important input to um, our overall health than even diet, Um, especially when you start looking at how sleep impacts things like hunger and cravings and food choices. So, um, so I think it's really important to, um, work with, um, doctors and find a good solution and don't feel guilty if that solution is a tonsillectomy. Um, you know, that's, that's could very, very likely be your best choice. And, um, you're going to make it and be an awesome parent for it. Nailed it. Um, but also, um, 
I apologize for how many times Sarah and I have said, yeah, we said that before, or we talked about this previously, because I know that you can't hear that, and it's obnoxious. And as soon as this podcast's over, hopefully we'll never have to say that again. It is sort of a surreal experience to be re-recording a podcast we've done before, because I end up sort of mixed up between like, well, did I say that this time yet? I, I remember that I said that, but maybe I said that the last time we recorded. Am I going to repeat myself or am I going to miss exactly. something? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is definitely, I think we should always make sure to record podcasts once in the future. <laughs> but this also is- we felt like both of these topics were important and worth repeating. Like, it wasn't just some throwaway show. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like we'd be like, oh, well, we just move on and do something else. We're like, oh, man, those were two really great shows. We really need to actually do those again. It's all right. We've got another question. I think this is going to be um, an, another, a very interesting one on a sort of tangent. So this question is from Jenny, and Jenny says, Bedtime is like World War Three over here. What tips do you have for helping children get to bed, stay in bed, and fall asleep? Also, what is the optimal hours of sleep kids should be getting? All right, you you start with the easy one first. I'll start with sleep requirements at different ages. All right, this is just a list, guys. Uh, newborns zero to three months old need between 14 and 17 hours, total hours of sleep in a 24 hour period. That's what all of these mean. So it's total hours of sleep. So we talk about overnight sleep plus naps. Infants four to 11 months require 12 to 15 hours. Toddlers one to two years require 11 to 14 hours. Preschoolers three to five years require 10 to 13 hours. School-aged children, 6 to 13 years, require 9 to 11 hours. Teenagers, 14 to 17, require 8 to 10 hours. Uh, Young adults and middle-life adults, I can't believe they call it this. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm putting these two together. So that goes 18 all the way to 64, require 7 to 9 hours. And older adults over 65 require 7 to 8 hours of sleep every night. All right, now that we've got that over with. <laughs> right? So um, what's interesting to me is that almost everything that we talk about on the podcast, I have this like recollection moment as a parent where I'm like, wow, I followed my instincts and that just worked out. Um, and sleep is one of those things. Um, now, when I started with Cole, um We did not have a sleep routine, and when I was pregnant with Finn, I could not stand nursing him to sleep in my bed anymore. It was like one of those nails on a chalkboard moments for me. Like, I just needed personal space because I was already sharing my person with another human, and I was like, I can't also do this other human. Um, So we... I'll call it sleep training, but it wasn't some horrific experience like I don't know, I read about it on the internet. Um, <clears throat> what we did is we we started a routine and we continued that routine with Finn and Wes and both of them have always been really good sleepers. In fact, Wes, uh, because he was a paleo baby and we had a routine, was sleeping through the night at only a couple weeks old, which uh, for a breastfed baby mm-hmm. is crazy. So um, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I know. That's, and- my, that's my like, that's not fair jealousy moment. But don't you think that your girls would have slept 
better if they didn't have some of the food intolerances and reactions and stuff like that. Like to me, I was paleo. So my breast milk was paleo and that's all Wes was getting. And so he had like no acid reflux, like the little boy, the older boys had, he didn't have diaper rash. He did, you know, like none of the stuff that would cause disturbances or wake ups for the other boys. Like he didn't have any of that. So he yeah, certainly that that's true for my younger daughter, Mira. Um, I don't know if that would have been true for Adele, but I will get to that after you're done, your train of thought. Yeah. Cool. So my point is that whatever works for you as a parent, um, I think routine and consistency is just really important. So this can apply to sleeping. It can apply to every facet of parenthood. Like kids, no matter what age, need to believe that you're serious about something. And so if you say it's bedtime, it needs to actually be bedtime. And I found that the easiest way to do that was to set up a routine. Just like we as adults have a routine, like Sarah wears glasses and I put a certain lotion on and like... I, I, I'm wearing my glasses right now. <laughs> we, we all come used to the things that are triggers for us that tell our bodies to wind down and get ready for sleep. And so we need to help train our children to do that. That doesn't mean that you need to like let them cry it out. It just means, in my opinion, that a routine is very helpful for creating that consistency so that they're expecting sleep instead of fighting it. So um, our routine when they were infants went from like nursing, um, swaddle, bath, story, all, all that kind of stuff in certain orders to as they got older, some of those things fell away. Like we no longer bathe the children every day. We've, <laughs> we've embarrassingly talked about that on this podcast. Um, although we've also said why it's no need to be embarrassed. But, um <laughs> And, you know, I don't nurse my children any longer, but we still have a routine of books in bed, books and teeth in bed is the routine. So they get a book read to them or they read a book to me and then they brush their teeth and then they go to bed. And um, Cole, as he's been older, keeps his light on and he reads in his room for a while. Finn um, is now at that age where he wants to read before bed as well. So it adapts as they get older and that kind of stuff. And the key for me is uh, making sure that they are not cranky either the next day or, you know, um, over a period of time, I don't see them kind of being... um, I call it jerks. <laughs> I don't know what the proper parenting <laughs> term, ter- term is, but like that's just I, kind of the joking I, term we use. I describe it as um, I don't like my kids very much. Right, exactly. Like <laughs> when I mean, as a general rule, I love my children. Love them when they are sleep deprived. Nobody I wants don't that. Like them very much. Yes, I yeah. still love them and I still take care of them. Just want to make sure that's abundantly clear. No one's calling my CPA on me right now. (laughs) Yeah, well, so we, I mean, we obviously have exceptions to these rules, like when they have sleepovers or when it's New Year's Eve or whatever. But I also know that my kids will only sleep in to a certain point, which means I have to consider like overall sleep for the week. And so leading up to certain events, I'll say that they need to go to bed earlier the couple days before or after to kind of catch up. I also encourage them to take naps. And um, it's amazing to me, years ago, they 
thought of naps as like a four-letter word. Now, if I say to one of my kids who's really cranky and tired, like, hey, why don't you go lay down and read a book or, you know, go, go wind down and see if you take a nap, like... Most of the time, most of the time they'll go do that without fighting me and I'll find them taking a nap in their room and they'll wake up and they'll feel better. So I just think it's really important to take into consideration the cues that you have. And if you're following a routine and you know your kids and you have consistency, then it's easier to implement and follow that than it is, you know, I remember before Cole had a routine where it just was literally like, tears and screaming and misery and you know like he wanted to be with us because that was the routine that we'd set and so it was like I was pulling something away from him that he'd you know gotten used to as a comfort and um, he expected to be with us when we slept and I it took a while for us to create a new routine and a new comfort for him so just be really aware as you're a parent and you're setting up these routines think like, well, is that going to work for me in a year or five years, you know, because (laughs) they grow. It's sad. (laughs) They do do that. It seems like no matter what we do, they, they do keep growing. I told Wesley that I was going to stop feeding him vegetables because he was growing up too fast. (laughs) He got really angry at me. I bet he got really angry. Yeah. I was going to say, I could totally imagine him getting super angry at you. He did. Um, so we were forced into a much, a really big toolkit of, um, strategies for helping our kids sleep by my first daughter who had sensory processing disorder. Um, but we, as first time parents, um, shell shocked, exhausted, um, living far from any kind of family to help us out, um, didn't understand that her symptoms were something beyond the normal spectrum until she was quite old. Um, so she was a sensory avoider, avoider. Um, so that triggered a lot of food issues that I've talked about on this podcast before. Um, but it also meant that she always, uh, from birth had a really hard time winding down to sleep. And, you know, it was really obvious to me early on. I mean, she, as an infant, just looked at everything wide eyed. And, um, I think she very easily got overwhelmed with, um, sensory stimulus, but unlike other babies, she couldn't shut it off. She couldn't, Um, you know, some babies will fall asleep when they're overwhelmed and, and she never could. And it would just end up to the point where she would just scream. And and we thought it was colic and it may have been colic as well. Um, but, um, you know, she just screamed for hours and, um, things that I used really, really on, um, when she was a baby was the, um, happiest baby on the block, five S's. Um, so let's see if I can remember what they were, uh, swaddled sideways, shaking, not shaken baby syndrome, but just like jiggling. (laughs) Uh, Somebody really is calling somebody on you. (laughs) Right. Sucking. So that was like a a pacifier uh, or nursing and shushing. Ha. I remember them all. I'm pretty Um, impressed. That was like a bajillion years ago. It was a really long In time ago. years, yeah. And, and I was very sleep deprived. So the fact that I remember anything for those years is, is pretty impressive. Um, 
and we were like we had to do all five and I would be rocking her to sleep for like 45 minutes and if I put her down she would sleep for 20 um so I learned very quickly that I just had to wear her um and if she slept in a um something like a Moby wrap or an, I had an ergo as well. And if I just walked for two hours, she would have a two hour long nap. Um, and that became part of my strategies for surviving her. Um, and so we started very young, about four months old, working on a predictable nighttime routine. So it involved, you know, it started with dinner, um, we'd turn out down, like this is way before paleo, way before, amber glasses way before I actually wrote an online sleep program, we started turning off all the lights in the house to start giving her the body, the cues that it was bedtime. Like we were still thinking about things like circadian rhythms way back then. Um, and she would have a bath in a dimly lit bathroom and then her bedroom would be even darker and we would, um, read to just a lamp on the, on the table and then put and we would put her in her pajamas and then read her a book and then she would nurse and then we would rock her to sleep. And that routine ended up being simplified as she grew older. We also gave up bathing our children <laughs> routinely. Um, it's not it's fine. There's no judgment. I'm just going to say right now, there's a link in the show notes to the podcast where we explain this for those of you who are scratching your heads. <laughs> I mean, it, let's uh, just, in, to be honest, I stopped bathing my kids because it was a hassle, not because I was trying to protect their skin microbiome. Wait, but I already said that things that I did as a parent instinctually as a la- out of laziness, like, <laughs> b- became the things that worked really well. Like, I breastfed not because originally that I was like gung-ho and breastfeeding, but because the idea of getting up to make a bottle and cleaning bottle and blah, 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 so blah, 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 was yeah. so much more work. And so I'm like, I'm going to lay on my side and this baby's just going to be here. <laughs> like That was easy. Yes. So anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting. Um, no, it's all right. So other things that we discovered was consistency was super important. So we had the exact same bedtime every night and we still do. My kids go to bed within a 20 minute window every single night. And we don't make exceptions. I mean, maybe once or twice a year when we're traveling to Canada to visit family, but we don't have a, hey, let's go to a movie on a Saturday night. It's okay if you stay up late. We never have these sort of casual later nights. Um, Because one of the things I discovered really early on is that my kids were incapable of sleeping in. And it's starting to change a little bit now. But it's not like if they go to bed an hour late, they'll sleep an hour later in the morning. They might sleep 15 or 20 extra minutes. And as I said earlier, then I don't like them very much for the next day or two. Um, And so one of the things I discovered really early on was consistency was really important. And if my kids are running a sleep debt, the only strategy that I had that worked was to put them to bed even earlier. And one of the things that I discovered was if I missed that window of opportunity where they're tired and calm, bedtime was an absolute nightmare. And so a lot of figuring out bedtime was figuring out when their bodies were ready for bed. And 
adapting our entire lives to that. I mean, there was when, when Adele gave up naps, she gave them up very, very early because she just could not shut off her brain for a nap. Um, and for a good three, four months, she was ready for bed at 4.30 in the afternoon and she would sleep for 14 hours. Uh, you know, she was not even two years old yet when she gave up naps. So that was how much total sleep she needed in a 24 hour period. Um, and we just, okay, she's ready for bed at 4.30 in the afternoon. You know, I got really, really good at, at reading her cues. So, um, so that was just what we did. And if people would say, hey, you want to have a play date at 3 o'clock? I would say, actually, we kind of start getting ready for bedtime at 3.30. And they would look at me like I was crazy. Um, but nobody ever called the CPA. And I'm sure none of our listeners will do that either. Um, and we also discovered a number of triggers that made bedtime really hard. So caffeine was one of them. And not that I was giving my kids coffee, but just even chocolate was enough caffeine to be a problem. Food dyes were a huge, huge problem. So if there was food dyes consumed at any point during the day, I mean, that was basically like there'd be no sleep. Um, sugar continues to be a problem. So um, as a almost 10-year-old, if she has sh sugar in the afternoon or evening, she has a really, really hard time sleeping. Um, we also discovered that a good portion of starch at dinner um, helps her sleep. Um, and that's, there's actually scientific studies to show that's true in adults. Um, even before paleo, we were doing a lot of circadian rhythm things like keeping her room very dark, having blackout curtains, putting, um, red light bulbs in her nightlight. And we actually got, um, Mira still sleeps with a nightlight, but Adele has been able to, um, discontinue sleeping with a nightlight. We used white noise machines. Um, so, you know, cool, dark and quiet, basically bedrooms. Um, and so finding all of those strategies was, was really, really important. So I sort of, you know, the, all of the things that are helpful for adult sleep, um, which you can get the insanely <laughs> details in uh, Go to Bed, which is my online sleep program. It's a 350-page ebook with like, hundreds of scientific references, all the science of sleep. Um, you know, avoiding afternoon sugar, avoiding afternoon caffeine, sleeping in a cool, dark room, having a consistent bedtime, having a consistent daytime routine, getting outside during the day, um, having dedicated time in the evening to wind down before sleep. Um, those are things that really are useful across the board, and that's really what sleep hygiene and a bedtime routine boil down to in young kids. So if I was to distill that to a few bigger recommendations, it would be consistency of bedtime and routine. So consistent of the time and the actions leading up to bedtime. Try shifting bedtime a little bit earlier. Try and get that window before they're overtired and getting wound up. My kids, the more tired they are, the faster they get. I mean, they will get to the point where they just start running in circles and they can't control their bodies. Um, so I try to get them to sleep before that. Um, just like I try to put myself to bed before I start craving sugar. It's, it's kind of the same, same analogy. Um, and, um, and I think it's important to also have a positive association with bedtime. So with my kids, they get focused time with um, each of us. And it kind of switches back and forth. It, we usually divide and conquer, two parents, two kids. That's great math. Um, and 
for several months, I'll be with my youngest. For several months, I'll be with my oldest. And we just kind of, it sort of ebbs and flows. But they get that dedicated time. That's when my youngest gets read to. Um, my oldest and I have really great conversations at bedtime. Um, so making bedtime overall a really positive experience. Um, with also, when it's time to leave the room, that time being non-negotiable. Um, I, I think it has really, really helped us. I feel like we said the same things, but in very different ways, which is to say that routine and consistency, no matter what you choose to do will help. And neither Sarah nor I had a perfect nor horrific experience Uh, I don't know know (laughs) about that last one all right well speak for myself Um, she woke up every 45 minutes all night for like her first year of life you got it was some dark days it's some dark days dark days dark days you got it figured out and then Mm -hmm. it wasn't so difficult with number two I would say to Cole um Cole's first year was difficult at best as well because my food intolerances with breastfeeding, it took me a while to figure out that I was giving him colic through, um, you know, lactose intolerance and whatever. So, but I feel like being in tune, paying attention, you're already listening to this podcast. So you're already like way more informed than I was (laughs) when I was a mom. Um, I think is, is just really important. And I, you know, want to really emphasize one of the other components that we haven't really talked about, but I feel passionately about with parenting, which is that I feel like it's not my responsibility to make my child be a certain person. They already are their own person. It's my responsibility to help them become their best self. And so I feel like if we as parents adopt that mentality, it helps shape and frame how we choose to approach things. And I find myself um, making the better choices that don't involve yelling and empowering my children with information rather than telling them what to do. Um, And as children get older, that's obviously easier. But really, I've done that with all of my kids as much as they were able and and ready to hear and learn things. And so, you know, if you have a two-year or three or two or a three-year-old, it's not too soon to explain to them how important sleep is for their body. Um, Usborn has a really great body book that I used with all of my kids. Yeah, we've got it. Um, Matt can put a link in the show notes. And that book was used as a tool in our house in our house to help the kids understand how their bodies work and we used it from everything to eating vegetables to why you need a band-aid to why sleep is important and do you, do you have a, a band-aid averse kid <laughs> um I have, I have a band-aid the, obsessed I was going to say, I have the opposite. I All of my kids go through a phase where they think everything needs a band-aid. And so yes. that, that's a really good time to talk about not actually your blood's not coming out the outside of your body. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of the language I use without without the benefit of a book. But uh, yeah. but yes, no, your limbs are attached and there's no blood gushing. We're, you're good. Don't see anything. No duct tape needed. Yeah, so... I, I just want to encourage everybody to really um, think about that. And I know it's difficult. Sarah and I both said that, you know, n- neither one of us are perfect and we both have our impatient moments. And 
no parent should ever expect themselves to be. And frankly, I feel like if a kid went their whole life without never being yelled at, they really wouldn't be ready for the real world anyway. (laughs) So you're just doing them a favor. It builds character. Think about all the character. Yeah. Um, And also remember that um, kids need gradual change. So where as adults, we can tend to, you know, make some kind of resolution, a challenge, a thing we're going to do. And you can't tell your three-year-old it's time for a sleep challenge. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, I can have an explanation about why we're going to work on sleep, but I can't just like as an adult, I can go, hey, my bedtime's going to be an hour earlier and I'm probably running enough of a sleep debt that my body will be able to fall asleep an hour earlier and it'll be okay. I mean, that doesn't happen for everyone, but for me, it certainly does because I am a sleeper. Um, for my kid, I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to start putting you to bed an hour earlier. They're just going to lie there awake and come out of the room 7,000 times going, mom, I still can't sleep. So um, remember that with kids, whether you're cha- whatever you're changing, um, it's it's important to keep making progress towards the goals and keep those goals in mind. So don't let baby steps equal being stagnant in terms of adopting healthier um, choices, but taking a period of time, two, three weeks, two, three months and working towards these goals over that period of time, I think in most cases tends to lead to better success rates. Indeed. Well, as I said earlier, and you did not hear me because I was muted, I feel like we slayed that question too. It's nice that we just have this opportunity to relive these moments, and I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that this does not become the Scottish if, show. If if this recording <laughs> is I'm going to cry. I'm going to do everything I can to make you not cry. It's not, it's not, we cannot have two Scottish shows. Hey, before we go, can I, can I say something real fast? Of course. Someone's got a new book coming out June 6th next year and you can actually pre-order it on Amazon. It's official. Right. That means everybody else can see the cover that I was the very first person to see. That's right. It's amazing. So it's called Paleo Principles. You can look for it on Amazon. I'm sure Barnes and Noble um, and other booksellers will have it available for pre-order relatively soon. They're usually a few weeks behind Amazon. Um, and you can also go uh, check out the cover in the description on my website at thepaleomom.com forward slash books. I've seen it. I really like the cover. I don't remember when we discussed this, if it was on a show or not. It was just, I think it was last week. I can't remember if we did it on the show or if I showed it to you after. Um, or if it was like part of the thing that got lost. So I just want to say, I, <laughs> I really, I really like the cover. Our memories are amazing, guys. Can't you tell? We so remember all the things. Well, I remember that I said it. <laughs> just yeah. not True. when. That's, the, that's the whole story behind the show, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm super happy with the cover, and um, it's uh, it's coming together. It's it's been a lot of long days lately, but um, so far I'm still making sure to get to bed early enough, and I still feel good. I'm still doing really really well 
working out in the gym and all those good things. So those are, those are some of my metrics for, you know, cause as soon as working out doesn't feel good anymore, I gotta, I gotta back stuff up or as soon as my sleep gets really, you know, restless, I gotta back it up. But, um, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying working on this book. Um, more than I have, I don't, I don't even remember if I enjoyed even working on the paleo approach this much. Um, I'm, I'm just really having fun watching it come together. So um, hopefully that means good things for everyone else's enjoyment too. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I know we, we talked about it a bit and um, I'm, I'm thrilled that the community will have a resource for all of the science um, to be a tool the way that uh, the paleo approach was for AIP. So uh, I know everybody loves science, and if you want to ensure that you get a copy, because it has been known that sometimes books sell out on the first print run, <laughs> and you want it to be low price guarantee, um, which Amazon still does, you can pre-order the book now, but then you won't actually pay for it till it ships, and you will only pay for the absolute lowest price lowest it price ever the- was between now yeah. and June. So there's no reason to not pre-order if you think that you might want to get it because you could always cancel it later. But then if you miss the best price, you can't get that back. So there you go. There's my sales pitch and it's not even my book. But I appreciate it. <laughs> I was like, wow, thanks, Stacey. That's, that's all, all the things and it's super amazing. I'm uh- a huge Amazon fan. Like I'm also a huge small business shop local shop small fan but that's I think why I love Amazon because there's so many businesses small businesses that can distribute on Amazon it is it's amazing I love it and so and I love that they have great customer service for users and buyer you know I just I'm ready to be a spokesperson Amazon go ahead and give me a call I'm ready (laughs) I know they're gonna they're gonna call you up for sure like, for sure for sure. Hey, fifteen actually, minutes after this episode goes live. Speaking of giving me a call, I do not want to call. Um, actually, I have two things. Um, first of all, you don't know this, but several people emailed me and told me that uh, they wanted me to turn my healthy inside out cup ideas into other merchandise thanks to you they like specifically said sarah's on to something would you consider a blah 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 and i was like sarah one had a different idea for what merchandise they would want to see exactly and i was like one person wanted t-shirt one person wanted necklaces by the way jewelry would be amazing stop just saying the answer someone else wanted fridge magnet someone else wanted workout socks the answer is no right now we're offering mugs, and that's what we're offering. I really like a pair of wrist straps. Second of all, um, <laughs> the family is heading west in January. The boys, I'm going to say this quietly, the boys' Christmas gift is getting to go to California. We're going to fly into San Francisco and then fly out of L.A., and uh, drive down the coast in between, and it's uh, like a 11 day trip so if anybody has ideas of things that are like really fantastic or things that we must check out specifically for boys that are really into like you know science and exploring and um so not the japanese garden in san francisco right no it's like because that's beautiful it's amazing boy activities i've been to the west coast several times you've seen the memoirs of a geisha movie 
I'm not going to build there. It was so pretty. Listen, you have tea. This trip is not for me. I've been many times and I've done the things that I want to do, but this trip is about the boys because none of them have gone. So I'm sure the boys will love Mission Heirloom. Yes, Mission Heirloom, and um, there's a couple of things that are on the list that I'm like, you know, we must do. Um, obviously, we're going to go to Universal Studios Hollywood and see the Harry Potter and Walking Dead and that kind of stuff that we're into. Um, but I'm really kind of interested in finding like really cool nature things that we don't have on the East Coast that would be available on the mm, West Coast. Like old growth forests and... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so if people want to email me, there's a contact form on the blog, realeverything.com. I would love to hear the things that you think we would love to do. Like someone emailed me about, I think, like a science museum or something. Like stuff like that is really um, interesting and up our alley. So that's that's what I have. Those are all of our announcements, right? You don't have any more? Mm-hmm. No, I'm de- I mean, no. Book is a really, really enough for me for right now. <laughs> well, kind of more more than enough. I'm I'm... I'm loving it, but holy smokes. And next, it's, it's like I forget. It's like having a baby and you forget how much work it is to make a baby and push them out. And, and then you have another baby. I'm doing that with books. And just like I learned with actual babies, a uh, third time was a charm for me. I was like, aha, I remember. <laughs> Same <laughs> so with maybe books. what you're saying is fourth, fourth time might be the charm you for me. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Or fifth, because because you got to be another one right after. Yeah. No, I've got another signed contract. Even better. So there's that slight possibility of two books from me in 2017. Well, there you have it, folks. I'm going to let that some suspenseful <laughs> music right there. Um, well, um, I'm still keeping my fingers crossed. Uh, from, I'll look for a text from Matt sometime tomorrow. <laughs> I'm, watch, he's, I'm he's watching started. it. I'm watching it say that it's being recorded. So there's that. Um, you never and know. And we'll be back. We'll be back next week with a guest, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Next week we have a guest, which we haven't had a guest in a really long time, so it'll be fun. Come back. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Join us. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. See you later. Not actually see you. Talk to you. At you. Parts. (laughs) Politics or religion (laughs) or money or weirdo relatives. Uh, yeah, all of those things are banned topics for bloopers. Off topic. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.